And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin. I wanted to say I appreciate Pastor Zach preaching last Sunday. Um, we listened to it while we were driving from Wichita, Kansas to Kansas City. Uh, in Wichita, I was with around 200 uh, friends. Um, when I went to the event, I saw these old people walking into this event, and I thought, man, who are those guys? And I realized that that was my event. And um, there were about 15 of us that had been, had started in kindergarten together and had gone all the way through high school, so it was really fun to see them. And, and uh, we had a get-together on Saturday morning with a few guys. Uh, among them were the three guys that God used in my life to lead me to faith in Christ. Those are them. And um, boy, it was really fun to see them and be with them again. But God used those guys in a great way in my life. But we had a, a number of folks that were together and um, were able to share and pray together and for several hours, actually, on, on uh, Saturday morning. And then the highlight was, of course, meeting and uh, getting to hold my new granddaughter, Winnie is her name, and um, she cries a lot and sleeps a lot, but um, I'm looking forward to when she can talk, but it was a really fun time to meet her and be with our family in, in Kansas City. Um, well, we're talking today about walking with integrity and pursuing justice. So how do we do that uh, in a fallen world in a way that pleases God? It's not always easy. Uh, there's an account involving a uh, judge from Indiana named William Bontrager. And Bontrager had to pass a sentence on a man named Fred Palmer, who was a decorated Vietnam veteran who had been found guilty of burglary. Uh, the crime was caused partly by his involvement with drugs and alcohol. And Indiana law required a sentence of 10 to 20 years before eligibility for parole for Palmer's offense. But new regulations in Indiana designated a lesser penalty that went into effect 18 days after Palmer's arrest. And to complicate matters, uh, Palmer had become a Christian in prison and uh, demonstrated a radical change of life. So should the judge sentence Palmer, a man who had never been in jail, to 10 years at least before he was eligible for parole, or should he declare that statute in violation of Indiana's constitution and give him a lighter sentence, which had gone into effect, again, 18 days after he'd been arrested? Wanting to be a man of integrity and also a judge that pursued judge justice, uh, Judge Bontrager sentenced him to... Uh, a shorter sentence as, as he possibly could. Seven months later, he was out of jail. Uh, he had a job, Palmer did, and was paying back his former victims. What followed, though, made national news because the Indiana Supreme Court reversed the judge's decision and sent Palmer to jail for 10 years, minimum. <clears throat> and the judge's attempt to fight that in the court system led to hit the judge's own criminal charges and indictment for him for contempt of court. And finally, he resigned. And Fred Palmer went back to prison, but was released 20 months later by the governor, who gave him clemency, and Judge Bontrager's conviction cost him his job, but not his integrity. 
So let's read God's word together as we talk about this subject. Proverbs 3, we're going to begin at verse 17. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. And this is verse 27. So I want to hop down to verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you have it already with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. Then if you want to turn over to Proverbs chapter 11. I want to read the first three verses. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And if you want to hop down to verse 10, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. So Proverbs is about gaining a life of wisdom. And and in this book, there's a deep emphasis on the importance of justice and integrity. And I want to begin with a couple of affirmations. Um, The first one is that justice is God's idea. That's on your outline. Deuteronomy 16 says, let justice prevail. Uh, Justice has been God's idea from the start. The second affirmation is that justice is affirmed by Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry on the verse you've got there, proclaiming liberty to the captives and set the oppressed free. Most of the Bible's direct language on justice is in the Old Testament. But Jesus, uh, we learn, seeks justice. He's all about justice. And he sends his disciples out to do the same thing. In Proverbs 29, verse seven, you've got it on your outline, it says, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. The word care uh, doesn't really communicate the depth of meaning here. Uh, The word, the Hebrew word for care is yada that means it's the most intimate kind of knowledge. In other words, as as Christians, our lives are to be characterized by an intense passion for justice. That word yada is the same Hebrew word when it says Adam knew Eve and bore him a, a, a son. 
So it's that kind of intimacy that we're talking about. So again, on your outline, as Christians, our lives should be characterized by this intense passion for justice, for Yadav. We should care about it that much. And so the first thing we learn about justice in our passage is that as Christians, um, uh, that true justice is shalom. That's number one on your outline. True justice is shalom. So we're going to start with peace, but you're going to see the connection that it has to justice. So again, her ways are pleasant ways, verse 17, and all her paths are peace. Uh, Verse 17, when it says all her paths are peace, um, the word her and she is referring to wisdom. And then notice uh, that all of her paths are peace, that, that shalom, and that guarantees what follows. So remember that, that Proverbs isn't about, it's not a book of promises. It's not a book of commands. It's, it's telling us the way things are. And, and that's, if we f- follow that, we'll be wise by looking at the way things are. So Proverbs gives us general principles to live by. So what this is saying is that in a perfect world, wise behavior leads to peace, to blessing. If you look at verse 16, look at verse 16. We didn't read that, but it also leads to long life and riches and honor. If we live wisely in this troubled world, it will usually bring blessing, but not always. Sometimes sin gets in the way, but generally, as a general rule, wisdom ultimately leads to blessing. So in verse 18, it says, wisdom is like a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And those who take hold of her, who hold her fast, will be blessed. So here's what's neat. Now listen to this. So as soon as the author talks about shalom, peace, and we're going to talk about that because it's more than just the way we think of peace. Uh, look at verses 19 and 20. By wisdom, the Lord laid the found, earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. So God created the world by his wisdom. And it was created to have peace, to have shalom. So think of it this way. Psalm 139 talks about how God created us. We love Psalm 139. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. God created us with order. And he created us in a world of order. Uh, R.C. Sproul gives this illustration. He said, think of taking a bunch of threads excuse me, <clears throat> and laying them out on a table. And the threads are not interwoven. Uh, but when they are interwoven, they become a fabric that's beautiful and useful and strong. Believe me, I live with someone who knits all the time. And uh, I see these balls of yarn skeins of yarn, and they're just yarn. They're just, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're nothing. They're, they're useless. But they quickly become sweaters that people can wear that will, will keep one warm, or blankets that will be put over someone to keep them warm. And so they become useful. But think of creation like that. God didn't lay out the parts of creation like pieces of a yarn. Of yarn, they are all harmoniously knit together. And that perfect interdependence in creation is what the Bible calls shalom. 
Think of our, our bodies, the way God made our bodies. When we're young, we, we look good, we feel good, we're healthy, we have energy. Uh, why is that? Because every part of our body is knit together in unity. It all works together. So all disease and injury and even death is a breaking apart of the way God has created it to be. It, it's, it's our body. When our body is, our, God created our body to work together. But when we're sick, when we're aging, what happens is that we're losing shalom, or f- physically speaking. In, in fact, in French, the word, uh, f- the, they have a word for uh, older people, called, it's coulant, and that means you're falling apart. It's those who are falling apart. Um, <clears throat> it's the same thing with our mind and our will and our emotions inside of us. God created them to work together, and when they work together, when they're healthy, there's shalom, there's peace, there's flourishing. Um, let's say that we wrongly want something. It's greedy of our, on our part to want something. And we start to lose shalom when we are greedy. There's an unraveling of the fabric and the way that God has meant us to live psychologically. And so when we experience anxiety or meaninglessness or anger, what's happening is that we're losing shalom. It's not the way God designed it to be. I have some friends who used to be members of this church and they live in another state and they live in a horrible neighborhood. They're suing each other. They're getting restraining orders against each other. It's, it's a nightmare. That's, no, that's not shalom. There's no shalom in that neighborhood. I hope in the neighborhood in which you live or the neighbors you live near that there's shalom, there's peace. Um, it's like everybody is, a, 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 they're threaded together, they're interwoven with each other in our neighborhood. I, I was, this has been some months ago, but I was out mowing our yard one time and our neighbor happened to come home and, and he, immediately he got out his mower and started on the opposite end of the yard, mowing my yard. And I was like, man, why don't you do this every time I mow my yard? Uh, but it was, so, it was so great. And there's peace in our neighborhood. There's shalom there. That's why we think small groups are so important because caring for each other, that interwovenness happens a lot through small groups. Uh, but when people live for themselves and it's all about them, there's a loss of shalom. There's a loss of peace. And this can apply to your own physical family, your immediate family. This can apply also to our community, our city, our nation, our country, the world. And on a larger scale, there's social breakdown when there's no shalom. There's racial tension, there's crime, there's war. That's not the way God designed it. He designed it for peace. So listen closely, author Dallas Willard said it like this, and he describes the peace we're talking about. He said, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity Fulfillment and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, it means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed all under the arch of God's love. Justice, and this is on your outline, in other words, shalom is the way things ought to be. 
That's justice. And that's shalom. Proverbs 12 says, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. So when people tell the truth, uh, wise people tell the truth. <clears throat> because when you lie, you're unraveling the social fabric of the way things were made to be. We're isolating ourselves from others. We're taking away shalom. On the other hand, when you tell the truth, you're weaving the fabric together. You're maintaining the fabric. It's not just that someone is doing something immoral. When they lie, they're ripping apart the fabric. And when they tell the truth, they're, they're maintaining it. They're sustaining it. They're maybe weaving it back together. And that's what doing justice is. Justice is bringing shalom or restoring shalom. Tim Keller, the author and pastor, said it this way. Wisdom is understanding the interconnectedness and maintaining and sustaining it. Justice is putting it back the way God created it to be. In other words, justice is, in a sense, weaving back what's been unraveled. When we share our faith with someone, we have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. What's happening? It's restoring the way God created the relationship to be, for us to be in relationship with him. So Romans 5.1 in the Amplified Bible says this, therefore, since we are justified, there's justice, given a right standing with God through faith, we have shalom with God, the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah the anointed one. So we have peace, we have shalom with God when we're justified through faith. When we do evangelism, we're helping someone be in a right relationship with God, bringing shalom into their life. They have peace with God when they're justified by faith. So sharing our faith with someone is an obvious example, but there are lots of examples in, 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 in so many ways that we help life be put together, back together for people. You know, even people who don't believe in God want justice. They feel like there's a, they, they have a sense of justice. But if you don't believe in God, where does justice come from? Well, you end up with what Darwin talked about with survival of the fittest, which means only those people that are adapted, best adapted to the environment are the ones that can survive and the ones that can best reproduce. And that means nationally or in, in, in the world that the strong can trample on the weak. And someone says that's unjust and you say, well, how do you know it's unjust? If nature is all there is, if there's no God, then justice is just a matter of your opinion. But we know that God has established justice and that it's connected to shalom, it's connected to peace. So what are the principles of justice? It's number two on your outline. Well, we trust God's wisdom. That's the first one, letter A. It leads us back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It leads us to, to do righteousness, to just decisions. Also, letter B there, we don't withhold good. Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due, verse 27. That reflects justice when we help those in need. The word good here in verse 27 
does not mean just being nice to people in general. It's not just doing good like in a general way. It means to give them whatever you have, whatever they need you, and you have, you give them. Of course, we begin spiritually. We begin by giving them the gospel. We're, we're, we've messed up our lives with sin and Jesus came to restore peace and shalom. Maybe it's to help someone in however we can. You know, when COVID started, a lot of people came and volunteered and said, hey, I'd love to help whatever, in whatever way I can. And people would take, uh, they would take food, go to food, people that were afraid to go out to the, to the, uh, to the supermarket. There were others that came and to help them, and delivered food to them. Many people did that. Many of you did that. Once you understand what shalom is, doing justice is simply helping something get back to the way God designed it to be. And when we think of justice, we might think of doing something legal. And so that's included in this. Justice does include civic justice, but also, like we've said, honesty and integrity. That all includes a sense of shalom, putting things back to the way they belong. But it's more comprehensive than that. If you go back to that analogy of the, of the threads, it's like not just laying our threads beside each other, but an interwovenness. And we all have a million excuses as to why we shouldn't do that. Somebody came to me one time in the church and they were aware of something going on in someone's life. And, and they said they didn't want to get involved. And I said, no, you need to get involved. It's okay to get involved. You don't need my permission, but it's okay to get involved in people's lives and help them and correct what's wrong and bring justice and bring peace to a situation. Really what we're talking about here in verses 27 and 28 when he says, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you. At the core, it's just another way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, <clears throat> it's in Leviticus 19 and Mark 8. You've got the references there. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Love God and, and love your neighbor. In Hebrew, it's the idea of anyone you live near. That's who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is, and you've got this on your outline, who is your neighbor? Whoever is right in front of you. It's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, you know, we're so privileged as Americans. Uh, we've got so much, uh, and, and if we don't share with, with our neighbor, then it, it's not just uh, stinginess, it's injustice. Because if we have, we should share. So the world around us may be unraveling, but, but there's something that we can do, however small that might be. It's like the kid who was watch, walking along the beach and all these starfish had washed up on the beach. Thousands of them. And he, he picked one up and took it back in the ocean. <clears throat> there was a man walking the other way, this little kid, and said, hey kid, there are thousands of starfish here. You're not gonna make a difference. And he walked on and kid picked up another starfish and put it in the ocean and he yelled out after the man, hey, it made a difference for that one. You can make a difference for someone. It may not be everyone, but there's some things that you can do. And so also, letter C is don't abuse people, especially those who trust you from verse 29. Uh, don't associate or support wickedness. Of course, verse 31. Speaking the truth is part of justice in verse 32. And that leads us to number three on the outline. The person of integrity is the one who does justice. 
So look at Proverbs 11, verse one. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And then look at verse three. Underline verse three in your Bibles if you highlight it. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. In other words, you don't act one way in one setting and another way in another setting. You're the same person all the time. You know, it's so easy to ride a fence. I was talking with one of my friends at this reunion in Wichita, and he said in high school he remembers becoming a Christian, but saying Christian things to his Christian friends and non-Christian things to his non-Christian friends. And he said when, when a lot of us became Christians at the same time, he said it made him rethink the way he was living his life. And he said, I knew I couldn't, if I wanted to be a person of integrity, I had to live the same all the time. So, you know, with social media, we can sell ourselves any way we want. We can create a persona that's not true about ourselves. But the wise are driven by integrity. And integrity, this is on your outline, is consistency of godly character. That's what integrity is. And a person of integrity has one real self, not many selves that are hidden. Proverbs 13, or Proverbs 11, verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them. <clears throat> you know, if you look through Proverbs on, on wisdom for how to do God's will, what you'll find is the kind of person God leads more than steps that you will need to follow to do God's will. God's more concerned about who you are. And then there's this interesting verse in Proverbs 29. It's on your outline. The bloodthirsty hate a person of integrity and seek to kill the upright. What's that about? Well, someone said that goodness attracts hostility. It's like an eager young man who went to work for a company, and on the second day, all these regular employees come up to him and said, hey, don't work so hard, you're making us look bad. Stop working so hard, or, or else. So they were, they were threatening him because he was enthusiastic about his new job and working, and they said, slow down, or else. As Christians, we're called to be the light of the world. And the problem is that light exposes, just, it exposes darkness. And just living out who we are might expose, if you don't participate in gossip, it'll expose those who are gossiping. If you're honest, it'll, dispose, it'll expose those who are being dishonest. Um, just living with integrity, it, it will irritate some people. That's not our goal, it's just the facts. That's what Proverbs is about. Here's the way it is. Goodness attracts hostility just because it's good. So the wise person isn't surprised by that because Jesus was the light of the world and he was crucified for it. And then in verses 10 and 11 of, of chapter 11, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, they, there are shouts of joy. So the word prosper there in verse 10 is a strong word that describes those who are the most successful. Those who, have had, those who have the most wealth and influence. So why are they a blessing, the righteous, these righteous people to the city? Because here, and here's the key, righteous people, people really of integrity, are those who disadvantage themselves to be an advantage to the community. That's why the people rejoice. 
By contrast, the wicked are all about themselves. They just draw from the community. They don't give back to the community. Think of it like this. What's your reputation in your neighborhood? Maybe there are people who don't believe like you, but I'm hoping they would say about all of us that you are a real benefit to the community. They They couldn't imagine you not being there. It's the same with the church. I talk to neighbors around our church. They're thankful that we're here. I want that to always be the attitude. We don't want people to hate us. If, if, as far as it depends on us, like Paul said, we need to be at peace even with our enemies. So how would your neighbors speak to you, speak about you? Now, how do we become a person of integrity who does justice? That's number four on the outline. It's not by feeling guilty. Uh, guilt will get you nowhere. God is looking for a change of heart. So Proverbs 19, 17, here's the real motivator. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. So uh, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So who exactly is Jesus referring to? Who are the brothers and sisters? Well, the focus of the parable is not that. If that's your issue, you're missing the point. We do have to be careful here, and this is on your outline, because Jesus is not saying that the way to have a relationship with God is by helping the poor. That's not the way we, that's not what he's saying here at all. It is saying that one of the ways you can tell if someone has a genuine relationship with God is that they will be caring for the poor, their attitude toward the poor. If you're humble before God, you can't possibly look down on anybody because you know who you are before God. Like Paul, we're the chief of sinners. We're the least of the saints. Think of Jesus. He came to earth as a poor man. He was born in a manger. When he was circumcised, his parents offered two pigeons, which means they were poor. Otherwise, they would have offered a goat or a a lamb or something else. When, when he died, he just had his robe that they cast lots for. He spent his last night in a borrowed room, in an upper room. He, he was buried in a borrowed grave. He identified with the poor and the oppressed. Did you know, by the way, that everything that happened to Jesus was illegal? His arrest was illegal. <clears throat> his interrogation was illegal. His trial was illegal. It was held late at night. There was no notification. There was no defense. He was not allowed a defense. He was beaten and struck in the middle of his trial. And you know what all that means? All that, what all that means is someone who says, I can't believe in a God when I see all the injustice in the world. This is the gospel. Jesus came to earth. He knew what it was like to stand up to power and be killed for it. He knows what it's like to be a victim of injustice. He came to identify with the poor and the oppressed and defeat the power of sins and death. 
so that someday he can again establish shalom and peace in the world. You know, there was a Muslim who asked a missionary this question. If I wanted to forgive you, this is the way he he posed the question, I wouldn't make you kill your beloved pet before I forgave you. Why would God require a sacrifice, especially of his son, to forgive us? Here was the missionary's response. Choosing to forgive somebody means that you are agreeing to absorb the cost of the injustice of what they have done. Imagine you stole my car and you wrecked it. You don't have insurance or the money to pay for it. What are my choices? He said, I could make you pay. I could haul you before a judge, request a court-mandated payment plan. Let's say, uh, again, a a little bit of a fantasy here. This missionary said, if I had a $1.5 million Ferrari, which that didn't, but if I did, and you were foolish enough to steal it, you might never repay me back. You might be in, in my debt for the rest of your life. But I have another choice. I can forgive you. What am I choosing to say if I forgive you? I'm choosing to absorb the cost of your wrong. I'll have to pay the price of having the car fixed. You have no debt to pay. Not because there was nothing to pay, but because I paid it all, the missionary wrote. Not only that, but I'm also choosing to absorb the pain of your treatment of me. I'm choosing to give you friendship and acceptance, even though you deserve the opposite. And this is always how forgiveness works. It comes at a cost. If you forgive someone, you bear the cost rather than insisting that the wrongdoer does. And that's what Jesus, the mighty God, the Son, the perfect man of integrity was doing when he came to earth and lived as a man and died a criminal's death on a cross. Justice is what God demands. And that's why Jesus was sacrificed for you. And so if you know that sacrifice, if you know the grace and the mercy of God, praise God that his grace is in your life. If you don't know it, then God is offering you that grace right now. You can receive it. It's free. Let's pray together. Lord, it was the prophet Micah that you led to write. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Thank you for showing us what it means to do justice. Thank you for motivating us to do justice through your radical grace and mercy to us. Help us to understand these things and apply them to our lives. And Lord, will you let us always live consciously before you And will you heal our lack of integrity? And if there's someone here who has never put their trust and confidence in in Jesus alone for their salvation, may they do so right now.
In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand for our benediction. And you know, if God has spoken to your heart, we're gonna have some folks up front who will uh, be here to pray with you, to listen to you. And, um, and if you'd like to receive the Lord, of course, they're here to, to help you do that as well. And uh, just a reminder, uh, I hope that you'll stand up and stretch a little bit, but that you'll stay here. We need parents to go get their kids, of course. Uh, from childcare and from Sunday school. But uh, if you can stick around for the baptism, it's gonna happen right now. And so I hope that you can, um, can do that. And while you're here to fellowship together, this is from the Apostle Paul. Remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other. And sing them out, which we've done this morning in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God our Father. Amen.